In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. What were James and John thinking? What you can't see in your bulletin as you look at the, uh, the passage from the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus and his disciples are walking on the road to Jerusalem. And Jesus has just told the disciples for at least the third time uh, that in Jerusalem that he is going to be handed over to the authorities, that he is going to suffer, uh, that he is going to be killed, and that on the third day uh, he will rise. And this is immediately followed by James and John uh, treating Jesus like a genie in a bottle. They, uh, they say to him, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now Jesus could have shamed them for their callous response to the, his prophecy of his own death. He could have just sort of zapped them from heaven and left a greasy spot where James and John had been on the road. But we get a glimpse here that his property really is always to have mercy. As he responds, what do you want me to do? For you. Well, we want you to grant that one of us will sit on your right hand and one of us will sit at your left in your glory. In other words, when you uh, get to be the king, we want you to make us your number one and your number two. Uh, We want to be your prime minister and your vice regent. Uh, Never mind about your impending uh, brutal and shameful death, uh, but we want you to make us great. And we want to be seen by others as great. We want to share your glory. Now maybe James and John thought that Jesus was only speaking metaphorically about his death. So, uh, no real cause for alarm. Or maybe they, they knew that Jesus really was about to die, and so they needed to go ahead and get while the getting was good. Uh, but one thing is clear. That is that James and John were not Southerners. Because we Southerners, and we're no less audacious in in our self-serving ambition, or uh, we're no less likely to to treat Jesus like a genie in a bottle or a vending machine. Uh, But we're much more subtle and polite in our tactics. I mean, don't they know that that you're supposed to sort of ingratiate yourself, bring a little housewarming gift, maybe to butter them up, and, and then at least pretend to be humble? That's how we do it. Sorry, Deborah. Many of us here this morning are nothing uh, if not ambitious. And uh, I think we all want to have influence. Before I get any further, let me just say that these are not in themselves uh, wrong desires. Uh, You may remember a couple of weeks ago I said that we were made to be happy as a function of being made in the image of God. Well, another part of bearing the image of God is that we were made to be influential But in the same way that our sin bends our desires for happiness in on ourselves, so sin also bends our ambition and our desire for influence in on ourselves. Now it's tricky. Because there's nothing wrong with setting goals and uh, working hard. There's nothing wrong with accepting a promotion or turning an honest profit. And yet if we uh, stop for a minute, when we examine the motive of our ambition, or the motive of our desire for influence, 
it will almost always reveal that we are seeking to serve ourselves. We work for our own glory. Now, we may be ambitious for the respect and admiration of our friends, our business communities. We may be ambitious for a particular lifestyle or for the satisfaction of our own achievement. We may want to hold influence for the rush of power or for the greatness of our own name. But if we dare to examine the motive of our heart in our ambition and in our desire for influence, we will find an area of our lives where we are at the very least trying to share God's glory. Probably just take it all for ourselves. Now Mark tells us that his, the disciples were indignant at James and John for the request. And the implication is that they're just, they're just really mad that James and John beat them to the punch. Like the disciples, when we imagine ourselves at the top, and in our mind we see the starry eyes of admiration from those below, we're imagining our own glory. And any time that we seek to rob God of glory, it reveals in our hearts the disorder of our fallen and sinful selves. See, we were created by God to give glory to God and to love God with our whole hearts and souls and minds and strength to love our neighbors as ourselves. And yet, the motive of our hearts is for our own glory. When Jesus says in this passage that His followers are not to exert their influence the way that everyone else does, by lording it over them. Rather, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be a servant. The prize, grade A Christian, must be a slave to all. But Jesus doesn't stop there, and we are so grateful. Let me tell you why. See, if the message of this passage was that we should stop being ambitious in order to be great, and instead we'll start being a servant in order to be great, then everyone who goes out and starts serving everyone in order to be great will still be what? Ambitious. You'd still be seeking your own glory. A while back I got an email uh, from an old friend. And his career has largely been given to helping successful people serve others. And he's always taken pride in seeing these wealthy people move from selfish ambition for themselves to ambitiously serving others. But at the end of the email, he said something very insightful. He said that he had come to realize that even in his own life of service, that he himself was guilty of ambitiously serving himself. See, if you serve others just to get that good feeling for yourself, then ultimately you're just serving yourself. Jesus said that we are to serve others to be great. But he doesn't stop there. He said that he himself, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's the first of two short points as we close up. First, Jesus said that he came to give his life as a ransom for sinners. 
as a ransom for ambitious, self-centered sinners. He did not come primarily to tell us to quit seeking after our own glory, but to pay the price because we do seek after our own glory. Jesus' own righteous ambition was to give His life as the purchase price for you and for me because we are naturally slaves to our own ambition. We don't serve Him or serve others without serving ourselves. And so He came not to be served, but to serve us because He loves us. And He gave His life so that we might have life. Isaiah tells us that Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, that He was wounded for our transgressions, that upon Him was the chastisement chastisement that brought us peace and made us whole, that by His stripes we are healed and that the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So that's the first point. That's the Gospel. And, And if you are here this morning and you're just trying to sort of piece this whole Christianity thing together and you're, you're wondering, then, then that first point, that may be enough. That He has paid the price and borne our iniquities. But if you have accepted that grace for yourself, then here is a second point. See, the more that we lean into God's grace for us, the more we are humbled out of our selfish ambition. See, we serve what we love. And when we love ourselves, we serve ourselves. But as we understand God's incredible grace, we love God because He first loved us. And the more we love God, the more we desire to serve Him and to serve others in His name. In the 1700s, there was a German nobleman named uh, Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. He was born into great power and privilege. When he was 19 years old, he was sent to all the great cities of Europe as part of his elite education. And one day he found himself in an art gallery in Dusseldorf, Germany. And he was gazing at a portrait of Jesus and the crown of thorns on his head. And the young count was deeply moved by this stirring image of Jesus before his crucifixion. He was even overwhelmed by the reality that Jesus' crucifixion was, in fact, God's love and mercy for him. And then the young Count von Zinzendorf looked down at the inscription below the painting which read, All this I did for thee, what doest thou for me? And the young Count's heart was captured that day. Not merely by the beauty of the painting, but by the beauty of God's love for a sinner such as he. And over the years, von Zinzendorf uh, spent his wealth and spent his life pouring out for others in the service of Christ. And he was a man of extraordinary ambition and influence, but it was all because of God's grace and it was for God's glory. See, the gospel saves us on an eternal scale from our own self-serving. But it also humbles us on a practical scale, on a daily scale, out of our own ambition 
into a life of ambition and influence for Him and in the service of others for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your immeasurable grace. And we pray that that grace would root in our lives in such a way that You would guide us and direct us for Your own glory. We ask this in Jesus' name who makes it all possible. Amen.